Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 42, entitled, An In the Body Experience, Part 3. Okay, welcome back. Midweek study, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be down in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in particular verse 7 is where we left off uh, last time. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, verse 7, looking at spiritual gifts. We started looking at those last time. We're going to continue for probably a couple more times together because it's, um, well, it doesn't need to be dealt with lightly. So uh, let's pray together and ask God's help, of course, in all this. God, we do need your help. And uh, we submit ourselves to your spirit, Lord. You are the one who gifts us. You're the one who teaches us. You're the one who leads us. You're the one who uses us. And we want all those things to be true. Thank you for our study that we've been having, God, now for several years, these midweek studies. I pray you continue to bless them, uh, draw people to them, and bless those that are listening and applying in their lives. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. In fact, why don't we read it just briefly because it, it is sort of a reference to where we are. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Each one. So there's not a believer there's not a person who is rightly related to Jesus and therefore to his Father who does not also have the Spirit living in him and that Spirit, the Spirit of God, gifting that person for a particular place within his church, both locally and global. We started looking last time at all these spiritual gifts and uh, for, the sake of our, for the sake of service and how all are different and all are needed and there are none extras and all having a unique place in the body, and no one else can fit in the spot where you fit, nor can you fit in someone else's spot. In fact, if we do force a fit, if you will, then there's now at least two pieces of the puzzle uh, that aren't fitting correctly. Different gifts through different people with different experiences resulting in different outcomes, all with their particular place within the body so that we can do what God has called us to do. Church is not a place where we attend Church is a place where we serve. What is church? We've come to redefine it. We think of church as, as some kind of physical building like this and a place where we sit and listen to someone else minister to us. And that is not what church is defined as in the New Testament. We have to get back to the original teachings. Critical issue, again, is not the gifts as much as it is lordship. But why do so many people sit instead of serve? Because it's the lordship issue. They know Christ as Savior. They don't know Him as Lord. They don't follow Him. And listen, when you don't know Him as Lord, you do not use your gifts. And when you do not use your gifts, the, pip, the picture is going to be incomplete. Jesus must be Lord of each of us so that the gifts that He gives can be used to enrich the body. Remember, one, one important lesson about the Corinthian church is that just because you have a spiritual gift doesn't make you spiritual. Well, you certainly were not. Had a lot of issues. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians demonstrates a church that was very immature, very much in the flesh, very much gifted. Again, gifts are grace gifts, remember. You didn't earn them. You don't have to be good to get them. You're not going to be bad to lose them. But in order to use them correctly, you are going to have to be submitted to the head. That would be Christ and His Spirit flowing through us. And there's no replacement for submission or control of the Spirit as He watches us and changes us through the Word. But it's only as we surrender to the direction and control of the Spirit that we will know what our gifts are. Well, I don't know I have any gifts. Well, here's what I can say probably true about you. You're not surrendered to the Spirit. 
because when you are, and you might not have a name for your, for your gift, per se, well, and is, is, are names important? No. Like I said, you have no complete list given in the New Testament, not here in 1 Corinthians, not in other places, not in Romans, not in other places, because the name isn't near as important as submission to the Spirit. That's the whole call. I mean, you got, most of the New Testament says submit yourself to the Spirit, submit yourself to control of the Spirit, submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Over and over again, this is what this looks like. It's the fruit of the Spirit that matters, not the gifts of the Spirit. But in that process, well, the gifts of the Spirit begin to work, and they're going to happen sort of a, as a, not as a, in some ways as a side issue. Yeah, of course I serve. I'm surrendered to God. And I serve in a particular way because that's the way I'm bent by God. Okay. But the big issue is surrender to God. That's the big issue, not know what your gifts are. But you will know what they are when you surrender to the control of the Spirit. Our gifts are an obligation to the body. They're in our indebtedness to the function of the overall work of the body. Each one of us unique. Each one of us special. There may only be a certain number of gifts, but there is an infinite number of ways almost of their application and or their results because we're, there's, there's almost an infinite number of people who belong to Christ. So special and unique, each one of us. Our gifts are our only indirectly beneficial to us. So they're not for us to unwrap, if you will, under the tree. I have a gift. Yeah, that's not for you. That's for everybody else. And their gifts are for you. So it's a different way of thinking of gifts, and we have to think biblically again on these issues. So, so, so the church in chapter 12 is called the body of Christ. But in previous chapters, in particular chapter 3, it's called the building of God and the field of God. So what is it? Is it the body? Is it a church? I mean, is it a building? Is it a field? I mean, which is it? In fact, it is all three. We have to mix our metaphors in order to get a full picture of what the church is. So, so think of it this way. What is the church? Well, we are God's field. He planted us, and uh, we grow and produce a harvest for His glory, but we are more than that. We are not just a field, we are also a building whose foundation, of course, is Christ and in whom dwells God. I'm not talking about a physical building built out of uh, sheetrock and, and steel and mortar. We're talking about the bodies of humans, the bodies of Christ, the bodies of Christians. They are the address. What is, where is God's address today? Well, it's not uh, 107 West Mesquite. That's our address here on South Potter Island. This building. The address of God is the individuals that make up this membership. That's where God lives. He lives within the church. His address, we are His building, it's His place. It's the place where the dwelling of the Holy Spirit is. But we are not just a building. We are not just a field. We are more than that. We are a body. And that's the, that's the picture we have here in 1 Corinthians. We are a body through which God works, as it says in another place. We are His hands and His feet. We are a body. You're a part of that body. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to know what your place is. You need to be functioning in that place, else we are going to be somewhat, in some way debilitated because you're not in the place where you're supposed to be. So speaking of mixing metaphors, though, listen to how Paul mixes them here in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, speaking the same idea. In Jesus, the whole building, as we called it that back in 1 Corinthians, right? The whole building being fitted together, sounds like a building, is growing into a holy temple of the Lord. So buildings don't grow. Buildings are inert. You know, they're not, not uh, living. 
But this isn't a regular building. He's mixing his metaphors. And likewise, we've got to mix our metaphors in order to get the whole picture of what God has for us. And we have added another metaphor, if you were with us last time, explain the church. And if we weren't, I would suggest you stop right now and back up and watch that last one because these are going to be in a package together. And I want you to hear them all in a process as we teach and grow and build upon each teaching every time. Anyway, added, added another metaphor last time of the church, the metaphor of a puzzle, each unique piece. You know, if you work in a thousand-piece puzzle, every piece has its place. Every piece has its, is uniquely colored, uniquely shaped. Each piece only fits where it fits. It will not fit where some other one fits, even though they're very close. They may be very close in color, very close in shape, but they're not the same. And again, if we replace one piece for another, well, then now we have at least two pieces. They're going to be out of place. But the picture will never be complete unless all the pieces are there. Can we miss pieces and still see the picture? Yes. Will it be a complete picture? No, it will not. If we're missing you, and you're, you're not serving, you're not being, you're just taking, just listening, not growing, not giving. I mean, not, not financial, even though that's part of it. But, but giving of the service of the gifts that God has for you, then the picture will be something less than what it was intended to be. We will all suffer because of you. Ah. Or we will all benefit because of you. The best gift that you can give the church is yourself. That's the best gift by far. Another that I heard, another metaphor we're going to add. So last time we added the, the metaphor of, of, uh, of, the, of the puzzles. This week, I'm going to add one more. In fact, we're going to add two more, but, but we'll spend most of our time on the metaphor of a band or an orchestra. What is the church? It's like a band. It's like an orchestra, many different instruments, all playing their own unique sounds, right? But what's the purpose of the orchestra? So that each one can play its sound? No. So that together, we only make one sound, one band. I, I've heard it say this way, one band one sound. If we are one band and one sound, then what is that sound? Well, a lot of people, here's where the definition of church gets muddied, if you will. A lot of people see the existence, they, they, they see the church to exist for nothing more than as an organization to hold meetings for the sake of its membership. Is that what, a band, is that what we are? I mean, just say, if that's what we are, I'm going home. I'm not interested. We exist for our own purposes? Of course not. And others would go further, they would say others feel that, that the church is making uh, all the sound it should, if you will, and you can take of us as, as a band, all the sound we should when we do a little missionary enterprise, we uh, help the poor, uh, we do a little uh, uh, singing on Sunday, a little ushering, a little preaching, a little teaching on Sunday school, a little work on a few committees, and is that all the thing that church is? So let me ask you something, if I get a bunch of people together, Give them each a musical instrument, line them up on the field like a marching band. Teach them how to march. Are they a band? No. They have a formation of a band, right? Like there's a lot of churches that have the formation of churches. These, these items that I named, are those bad things? No, they're not bad things. They're, they're the formation. Those are things you find in a church, but it's not the formation that matters. It's the sound that they make that matters. What makes a band? Ultimately, the sound what is the sound that we're supposed to make? One band, one sound. It's the sound that we make that makes all the difference. And Jesus, Jesus made a prediction of what that sound would be. He said that we would be what he was. Notice what it says here in Luke 4, 18 and 19. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. First of all, here's Jesus describing his own ministry in his own hometown synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He did that. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He did that. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He did that. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. He did that. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He did that. So that's Jesus' ministry. What is, that's the sound that he produced. What is, is the sound that we are to produce? Well, notice with, with that right there, Luke chapter 4, or I should say in the corner here where you're looking at it, it with, with that right there in your mind, consider what Jesus has to say a little bit later. John 14. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, is that you? Is that you? It's me. Oh, but you. He believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Oh, wait a minute. Back up. What did you do? Oh, that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. So what are you to do? That's the sound that Jesus made. Look, notice, notice, notice right here in the corner. That's the sound that Jesus made. What's the sound that we're to make? Same sound. Same sound. John 14, 12. Again, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and, you might want to underline that one, greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. He underscores that here in John again, chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, you may think, well, it's impossible for us to do greater works than Jesus because Jesus did so many wonderful things, and he, he most definitely did. But let me just simply say this. Jesus effectively affected just a small little tiny piece of the world. Israel. Small, 200 yacht miles from north end to the south end, about 70 miles wide. That's all. That's really all that, in, in his three-year ministry, that's all that Jesus affected. How much has the church affected on behalf of Christ being gifted through the Holy Spirit and using those gifts? The whole globe. Have we done more than Jesus? Yes. Most definitely, exponentially, we have. But have we done it without him? No, of course not. It's been through his gifts. It's been through the indwelling of his spirit and only effectively by the submission of his church to the control of his spirit. So, yes, indeed. What sound do we make? We make the sound that Jesus made. We do the ministries that Jesus does. His going to the Father meant that the Holy Spirit would be sent to replace him, gifting us and empowering his church to do the things, make the sound that he made and that he has called us to make. So here's the sound of the church. You want to know what it sounds like? Here's the sound. One band, one sound, if that's what we are. You want to consider that metaphor? What is, what is a legitimate church sound like? It sounds like broken hearts being healed what Jesus did. It sounds like the deliverance to, to the poor in spirit. It's what Jesus did. It sounds like the spiritual blind recovering their sight. It sounds like the doors to the captive being opened. It sounds like people being set free from fears and anxieties and doubt and all the effects of sin. It sounds like people being led into liberty and freedom and power. That's what it sounds like. That's what a legitimate church sounds like. But hear me, it can't sound like that unless all the band members are playing. And if you're not playing, listen, we're, in some way, the sound is going to be damaged. 
I don't know about you, and I don't want to be responsible for that. Now, whatever part I play, I want to hold up my part. A church without that sound, hear me, is not a legitimate church. I don't care what kind of formation they make on the field. I don't care how well they march. It's the sound that makes them a band. One band. One sound. Again, these things that, that Jesus did that he's calling us to do are supernatural results, which requires us to, again, submit ourselves to the supernatural spirit of God. We are his body. He works through us in unique ways, in unique gifted ways, and he produces this sound, which means we have to be vitally linked to the head, Jesus. Vitally connected. That's my responsibility to you. It's your responsibility to me. We vitally link. We all have to have our individual relationships with the Lord and a collective relationship where we serve together. I see myself fitting in with you. You see yourself fitting in with me. I don't do what you do. You don't do what I do. But together, dependent upon each other, trusting the Lord to work through us, to be what he's called us to be, and we produce a beautiful sound because the power of God does that very thing for us. Again, it is the lordship, the question of lordship that is the real issue, not salvation question. We all play our own instruments. Again, back to verse 7 here in 1 Corinthians 12. But each one is given the manifestation, the sound of the Spirit. They're a unique spot in the orchestra, in the band. The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We have a melody that we play, right? We have a sound that we produce. In fact, you want to know what the melody is? Here's the melody. The melody of all that we do, bottom line, it could be described in many ways, but the best way maybe is John 3.16. I'm going to put John 3.16 on the screen for you. It's going to be down here in the right-hand corner. Now, I'm going to pause for a bit, for a second here, because I want you to take a good look at what I put up here. Let me just preface this by saying I'm having some trouble with my computer. It has... 70-something keys, symbols, combinations of symbols within it. But I'm only missing one letter, and that shouldn't matter that much. I mean, one out of 70 isn't bad, right? I mean, that's, that's 90, you know, 99%, 97% of effectiveness. But notice, even missing one key, what I get when the melody that God has called us to produce is played. Here's John 3.16, missing one key. Notice... Or maybe you, maybe you won't even notice. I mean, it's probably not even noticeable. Take a good look at that verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. Not even noticeable, right? The key that I was missing. One key doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it won't really matter to the overall cause of Christ if I don't do my part. Oh, but yes, it will. Yes, it will. One key doesn't work on my keyboard. Guess what? Does it, can we still read it? Yeah. But is it missing a lot of its flavor? Definitely. Definitely. Don't think that you don't matter. One band, one sound, but if we're missing one instrument, we all suffer. One key, we all suffer. Got to play our part. You do, I do. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, so much that you've gifted us, that you've called us. What a special, special privilege it is to be your hands and your, be and your feet, to be indwelt by your Holy Spirit, to be gifted particularly, uniquely 
to fit as a puzzle piece, as an as a instrument in a, in a band, as, as a key on a keyboard, as a part of a body, as a part of a building, as a part of a field that produces a crop, God, that brings you glory. Thank you, God, for that privilege. Help us burden us with our responsibility to play our part. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.